Good morning, everybody. Is it weird for you to see up here? Is it is weird for us to, yeah? Okay. It's going to get a little bit of getting used to. Um, I don't think I'll make it if I fall off of this. So I'm going to have to be careful. Today is a packed day. It's a full day. Uh, as all of you know, after uh, our worship this morning, uh, it's going to be a reception for Pastor Michael and his family as they say goodbye to the church. Um, at the end of my sermon, they'll come up with Dawn and say a word or two. Um, and I really hope that every single one of you will be able to make your way over to the first through sixth grade classroom um, where the reception will be held. So look forward to seeing you there. There's also a small group fair uh, outside. And for majority of you that are not part of a small group, this is an opportunity for you to sign up and be engaged in community in the life of our church. So busy day, full day, which means uh, I, need to, I need to get scooting and uh, say a word or two about where we're going to be going for the next three, four weeks or so. We're going to be talking about radical hospitality, radical hospitality. And I'm going to actually read the scripture uh, that is going to anchor us for the next few weeks. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, FYI, today is going to be a, a launching intro for this sermon series, just an intro for the sermon series. And so I'm actually not going to talk a lot about hospitality per se and what it means to be a biblical hospitable community, but really what it means actually for us to be the family of God that welcomes strangers and others into our midst. So Hebrews chapter 13 verse one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And that's actually where we're gonna be parked at for most of today. Because then it goes on to say, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And I ask you something. Can you think of a more important time in the life of our country and our culture than right now? In terms of what it means for this radically transform community, followers of Jesus, to be radically hospitable to the stranger, to the other, to, to those that we in our culture are conditioned to label as, as aliens or immigrants or strangers. Can you think of another time where it's more critical for a counter-culture community, followers of Jesus, to learn what it means, to learn what it means to be courageous and welcoming and embracing of those who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, believe what we believe. It, hospitality, as we'll see, is one of the defining marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And we rarely talk about it in the church, or the way we talk about it, it's completely missed. But we are called to nothing less than this. We are the recipients of the most incredible hospitality. And that causes us to ask hard questions about what does it mean for us to be hospitable people. Hmm? So this is where we're going. 
That's where we're going. Uh, uh, today, though, um, I want to, I want to, like I said, park in verse one. Uh, I, I'm reading a book, or just done reading. It's a small, tiny book, and I'd actually encourage any of you guys to pick it up. It's a book called Radical Hospitality: Benedict's Way of Love, and it's a little booklet that I'm, like I said, meditating, reading through, as it talks about the Benedictine way of hospitality. And there's a little excerpt in here, a story that I wanted to, I wanted to read for you. Uh, go with me to a corner of a sprawling market in Mexico City where an old Indian man is selling onions. 20 strings of onions lay in front of him. A guy from Denver walks up and says, how much for a string of onions? 10 cents, replies the old man. So how much then for two strings of onions? The old man fixes his eyes on him and says, 20 cents. Well, what about three? 30 cents. Uh, not much of a reduction for quantity, but would you take 25 cents for three? No. Well, well how much for all of it then? The whole 20 strings. The old man says, I will not sell you the whole 20 strings. Well, why not? Says the American. Aren't you here to sell onions? No, replies the old man. I'm here to live my life. I love this market. I love the crowds. I love the sunlight and the smells. I love the children. I love to have my friends come by and, and talk about their babies and their crops. That's my life. And for that reason, I sit here with my 20 strings of onions. If I sell all my onions to one customer, then my day is over. And I've lost my life that I love. And that I will not do. You and I have been conditioned by our culture to say, move. If that's where your job takes you, go, 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 make that money, do the. We live in a culture that says, your family, of course they're important, but you know what? Put in 50, 60, 70 hours for work. Your family will always be there. And you know what the Bible says? None of that matters without relationships. None of that matters without community. Two weeks ago, we discovered this incredible truth in the very book of Genesis. You have God creating the heavens and the earth, and you have him creating the animals and the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And every time he creates, it says, he created, he created, he created. And all of a sudden, Genesis 1.26, the pronoun changes. And the moment in which the pronoun changes is at the moment when God creates you and me, his prized creation. And instead of saying he created it, God says, let us make man in our image. All of a sudden, when God comes to creating you and me, prize creation, the pronoun changes from he to ours, and we discover this incredible truth about Scripture, and that is what? That God is God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of Trinity gives us a God who is community, in his very nature is community, and this God says, I make you like me, and I create you in the image of me, which means community or community. Relationships as the foundation of who we are. 
Community and relationships at the foundation of who we are. We're not healthy when we're alone. We're not fully human when we're alone. On purpose, you got to get this. Some of us think we need relationships because of sin. No, on purpose, before sin, God creates you and me so that certain things can only come via community. On purpose, check this out. On purpose, God creates us in such a way that relationships and without community, certain things that we could experience in life, we can't fully experience. I just experienced this in New York. I was away, and my friend who loves food like I do took me to what he said was the best soup dumpling place in all of New York. If you don't know, familiar with soup dumpling, there are these delicious bombs of caloric fat called shalombao. That's, I, think, I think that's the name. I'm not butchering it. And he took me to this place. And of course, he does what I do, which is we sat, waited for 30 and we sat. And the food came and he just sat there and watched me. What was he watching for? I took it and it's really hot. So you got to be careful. You put it on this spoon, you poke a hole, you suck the juice out. And by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, come talk to me afterwards and I'll gladly take you. And he just sat there and waited. I said, aren't you going to eat? He's like, no. And I ate it. And he, of course, couldn't wait. I said, what, what do you think? What do you think? I said, this is the best shalom bow I have ever had. And a smile overcame his face. He said, I told you so. And he took it and he started digging in. And that moment, I was reminded once again that do you realize that even aesthetic experiences can't be enjoyed alone. It's when that friend enjoys the music they enjoy that you go, yes, it is good. God created us in such a way that even human experiences, we can't fully enjoy alone. You guys, if this is true, then here's a hard question. Why is there disconnect when it comes to community in the Christian life? If this is true, you and I will agree, community is essential for life of flourishing. Why is it that you, today, right now, and I'm speaking to you, can't look at a group of people and go, you, 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 you are my community. You are the relationship I need. Without you, I'm incomplete. See, this is why it's dangerous for Christians to flippantly say things like, God is all you need. Even God doesn't think that. Talk to someone who's grieving because they lost their wife. Of course, God gives them life, but so do you. People, when's the last time someone breathed life into you? Hmm? The challenge for us as we move forward, even as we talk about hospitality, is, 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 is asking the hard question of why is it that you and I sit here today and even though we intellectually agree, community, community, we can't look around. I, I think part of it is uh, discipleship and you've been discipled wrong, I've been discipled wrong. And what do I mean? There's two things that I want to just briefly address and why there's a disconnect. You and I go community, yes, important relationships. But when it comes to living the Christian life, two things. One, we see salvation through an individual lens. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We see salvation through an individual lens. What do I mean? God's redemptive plan, if you read the Bible, wasn't just to save you. Hello, God's redemptive plan was about redeeming a people. God's redemptive plan. God delivers Israelites. And what does he say in Exodus 6? Check this out. He says, and, and, and you will be my, what? Say it with me. 
You will be my people and I will be your God. In Acts 2.28, Paul is talking to a group of pastors, essentially. He's commissioning them. This is what he says. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, not just for you, but for the church. He didn't just die to redeem an individual. He dies to redeem a people. Here's what that means. That means salvation just doesn't bring you into intimacy with God. Salvation brings you into community with other people. They go together. The moment that you become baptized into the body of Christ, you become baptized and incorporated into a group of people who are now part of the body. This is why a solo Lone Ranger Christian mentality is completely foreign to the Bible. You guys, here's the second reason. We also see those spiritual growth or spiritual formation through an individual lens. We think we can grow spiritually on our own. We really do. But the Bible says over and over again, spiritual formation was always intended to be a communal task, not an individual one. You can't grow spiritually on your own. See, it's interesting. I stood back there and Pastor Zox is up here and saying, you need community to grow spiritually. Some of you are nodding your heads, but you don't really believe that. You don't. You don't believe that you, can overcome, you can't overcome besetting sins on your own. You don't believe that you can't grow spiritually. You can't, you can't grow spiritually. You don't believe that. And my job today, just, just, just briefly, just, just, just address this issue. Because it is small group Thursday. Why spiritual formation is impossible on our own. Uh, author of Hebrews, again, launches this, this section of hospitality by saying, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And the word there is Philadelphia, brotherly love. Keep on. Work at brotherly love. Philadelphia, you're familiar with that. And, and, and when he says that, he's getting to actually one of the more profound enduring metaphors of the church in the New Testament, that is a church as a family or the household of God. Now, this is found all over the New Testament. Let me just give one example. Although I hope, 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 3.14, Paul says, although I come to you, although I, I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how the people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Church household, brothers, sisters, the church, household, or family of God. If you grew up in America, it's been pounded into you and pounded into me that we are the product of individuals' decisions and choices that we make. Funny thing is, nobody else in the world believes that. Most social scientists, and the Bible says, you're not a product of individual decision choices. You're a product of what? Relationships community, people that are around you. Social scientists say that what we believe is much more a product of our relationships than our rationality. What do it mean? What we believe is much more influenced by who we like and who like us, who affirm us and who we affirm than it is about simply believing something. By the way, if that's the case, think about race relations in this country. If what we come to believe is shaped by those that are around us and affirmed on a daily basis. What happens if those prejudices, 
biases are never dislodged because you're never around someone who's there to challenge them. Most of you went through your 20s, if you're still in your 20s, saying, I'm never going to be like my family. I'm never going to be like my parents. You tried all your time. I'm not going to be like them. And then as you get older, though, I just got to admit, as I get older, I'm turning into my dad. I'm exactly into my parents. Listen, there's a saying at our church you will hear over and over again. Community is what hurts you. Community is what will heal you. Relationship is what impacted you. Relationships is what will heal you. You cannot heal yourself. What implications does this have as we talk about hospitality? The Benedictine monks say there's three kinds of relationships. By the way, I'm really getting into this stuff. There are three kinds of relationships that a healthy Christian life needs. One is cloister or solitude. Second is community. And third is hospitality. And they say, you will never be healthy in community until you could be healthy alone. We spent six weeks on this beginning of last year. If you do not know how to be alone, solitude, you will not be in healthy community because you look for in community what you need from God. But as we're going, if you do not know how to relate in healthy community as the family household of God, you will not know how to be hospitable to strangers. Are you following me so far? Three relationships, cloister, community, hospitality, all three, all three. And the author of Hebrews gets to all three. He says you need to learn how to be alone with God so that you could be healthy in community so that you can live the Christian life of being hospitable and welcoming. So today, today, as an intro, I want to just for a moment, for a moment, I promise there'll be a moment, talk about what it means to be the healthy community or the family of God. Love each other's brothers and sisters so that we can, for the next two, three weeks, talk about what it means to be hospitable and welcoming to the stranger. Family. Four things, and then I'm done. First of all, healthy family is about identity. Healthy family is about identity. Family is not an event. You don't go to family. You what? You are family. You don't go to church. You what? Say it with me. You are the church. You don't, this here is incredibly important where the people of God, the family household of God gather. But what you're doing when you do this, you're coming to a worship event where we gather to worship. And it's incredibly important that the God of the universe and we engage in community. But don't confuse coming to an event to belonging and being a part of a family, of the household of God. See, I get bothered when people go, I go to new community. And what they mean is they attend a worship event and they think they're part of this community and belong, which is a whole different thing. By the way, on that note, 
Here's how you know if you're a part of this. Do you go, hey, do you want to come to my church? Or do you go, hey, do you want to go check out that church? Has your language shifted? Is this my family? Now, there's other challenging ramifications, of course, of being part of the family of God. That is, the gospel says we get this incredible gift of God as a heavenly father. God is a heavenly father. Anybody? Good news to anybody? God becomes our heavenly father. And we get Jesus Christ as our older brother. And we love that. Ah! But you also get something else. Come on, somebody. What else do you get? You get... You get you and me. You get brothers and sisters. Jesus talks about this. You laugh now. You won't be laughing in two minutes. Matthew 12, 46. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. And he cried to them, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother. Here are my brothers. When you get God as your heavenly father, you automatically get what? automatically had his kids. Now here's the thing. Think with me. Think with me. The people that you automatically related to when you become a Christian, they're not your friends. Friends are people you choose you, because you like them. And you share things in common. But the moment that you get God as your heavenly father, you don't get related to friends. You get related to brothers and sisters and siblings. Why do you think Christian community is so hard? Why does Christian community take so much intentionality and effort? To which many of us go, well, I don't need them then. God, just you and me. To which God goes, you want me as father? You're going to get my kids. And when you get joined a family of God and you join a church like New Community, look around you. Look around you. You are surrounded by people who share very little in common with you racially, ethnically, culturally, socioeconomically, educationally. And it takes hard work and intentionality and, yes, effort to be in community with them. We'd much rather be with our friends and people we share things in common with. And they're just natural gravitational pull towards. But I got to ask, where is the miracle in loving your friends? What's so miraculous and supernatural about loving people that are just like you and just like me? Wasn't the miracle of the early church the fact that natural enemies were now living together in community? Do you know that the church in America loses her prophetic voice when we mirror the culture of how they do relationships and community? How in the world do we have the right and legitimacy to proclaim Jesus when right now in America people are meeting with people in worship services that look just like them? How are we any different or prophetic? How? So here's my question for you. I'm going to move on. The people that are sitting around you, they're not your friends yet. They're your brothers and your sisters. My question is, are you intentionally working towards turning them into friends? Huh? By the way, I have news for you. If, if you came here looking for a group of perfect people, you're at the wrong place. 
If you came here looking for people who will not disappoint you, you're at the wrong place. But I got to ask again, where's the miracle and the supernatural and loving people that are easy to love? Hello, somebody. Anybody with me this morning? Where's the miracle in loving someone? Is it not the miracle, the fact that we are all hypocrites in transition, who fight, who disagree, who act a fool, but the miracle comes from the fact because of the gospel and Jesus, we actually forgive. We actually not just tolerate, but love. Hmm? Where's... We need other people to grow. And I'm going to say something. It might be that most difficult person to love that you might need the most. Can I say that again? It might be that person that is just rubbing you the wrong way right now that you might need the most. Because here's what I found in 30 plus years of being a Christian is that God uses diverse, difficult, different people to change me. Look around you. Who is your community? Who is your community? Secondly, family. <laughs> if you've been around New Community, you've heard this a lot, but I got to keep saying it, CC, every other month, right? Family is about availability. What do I mean? If New Community doesn't feel like home right now, here's what you need to do serve. 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 Can I get a name at somebody? Here's the difference between going to a restaurant to eat after church and going home to eat. When you go to a restaurant to eat, you just sit and everybody does everything for you. At home, what do you do? You participate. At our home, we're trying to teach and train our children. They help out, set the table. They help out. They get the water, get the fork, get the plates. After they're done eating, they're told to say, thank you, mommy, for dinner. Thank you, daddy, for dinner. Take your plate, go to the trash, throw away your trash, put it in the sink. They are trained to do that. Why? Because they're family. They're family. You go out to eat. You don't like the meal? Can I get a comment card, please? Write a comment card, send it back. If I do that to my mother, my mother will do something to me. talk about it. I'm going to speak on behalf of, I almost cried this morning because I came in here and the thought struck me. The number of people that work hard so that you, some of you could just come and worship. I just thought about all the men and women that work so hard behind the scenes to make this happen. And my heart just overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. There are people for whom this is family. There are people who set the table, put the fork down, get the water. There are people here who throw out the trash. There are people here sweating, blood, sweating, tears to serve you. Some of you come here and your primary thing is, is the sermon going to speak to me? Why does he talk so loud? Is the worship going to be in tune? And somebody going to greet me? At which point do you go, I'm not a consumer. I want to be a part of the family. And I'm available, Peter. Let me do something. At which point do you no longer act like a consumer at a restaurant, but a family member? Third, family is about accountability. Can I ask you a question? How do you decide what's right or wrong for you? How do you, how do you, how do you make the most important decisions in your life? If you're a typical American, your answer is, well, I do. <laughs> I make up my own mind. 
And by the way, again, most cultures in the world would absolutely be shocked at that because most cultures in the world don't make decisions on individual. They make decisions as a community, as a family, as a clan. The, the mindset of, I just make decisions on my own. By the way, millennials, if you're suspicious of all authority, so you're like, I'm going to be my own authority, then be consistent and be suspicious of yourself as ultimate authority. A little side note. Anyway, coming back. That mindset of, I'm just decisions on my own. Who I date, who I marry, blah, blah, blah. I just make what I do with my money time. I just make decisions on my own. That is a logic of modern Western secular society. And in the modern Western secular society, we have all these things that we just believe without even thinking twice. Can I give you a couple examples? And you can finish the sentence because you know what these. First one. This, 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 I don't know which is more annoying. This one, next one. Uh, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Think about that for a moment. Think about that statement. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? I'll tell you why. Because your feelings are a terrible moral compass for decision making. <laughs> Your feelings are a terrible moral compass for decision. I'm going to preach. You're just, because your feelings contradict like every other second. You're sitting here going, I want, to, I want to be loved. Five seconds later, but I want to be independent. Don't bother me. I want to be healthy and thin. I can't wait to go home and have a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I... I can go on. Your feelings contradict all the time. Here's the reason why. What sin has done is that a lot of times what you feel like doing is the furthest thing from what God wants you to do. You will not feel like forgiving someone who has wronged you. You will not feel like loving someone who is not lovable. You will not feel like praying every day, fasting, reading scripture. You will not feel like submitting to his lordship. You will not feel like it. Vice versa. The very things that you very much feel like doing is the furthest thing from what God wants you to do. Do you really want to place your feelings? They'd be the moral compass. Here's the second one. I think this one actually annoys me more. No one knows me better than I know myself. What? Some of y'all are sitting thinking that. No one knows me better than I know myself. Are you kidding? Do you really think you know yourself best? Talk to me. Do you really believe that you know yourself best? That you see yourself accurately. I think I'm 6'5". Ridiculous, isn't it? I know. Do you know how many of you are sitting there going, the reason why I am accountable to nobody is nobody knows me like I know myself. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Here's what Hebrews says. See to it 
that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily so that some of you, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin deceives, sin blinds us. We need help to see ourselves. Come on. Who are you opening up about your besetting sins? To whom are you opening up about how you use your money? Who you sleep with? Hmm? Who are you opening up to, guys, about career decisions? Who are you? You sitting there going, what? I, I, I just make decisions by myself. Do you know how? Do you know how? What I'm about to say right now will be shocking to the American ear. I gave you a warning. To say it's my body, I can do whatever I want with my body. I decide who I sleep with. You know what the Bible says? The community has a stake in what you do with your body because your body is part of the body of Christ. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Do you know how much individualism has toxic way affected the church? We really think this is no big deal. Wow. We are so far, church. One of the things that grieves me, I'm just going to put it out there, is when people decide to marry folks. Marriage is enormous deal. And when I asked him, who is blessing and affirming this? Do you have a community, people that have come around you? You'd be shocked at how many people that I meet these days who go, I made the decision myself. I don't care what my community thinks. I'm going up. Family, lastly, is about transparency. And this is the most difficult of them all. My mom and dad, I can't get anything over them. You know what I mean? I mean, they, come on, come on. They saw me. They saw me as like, they wiped my nose. They wiped my bottom. They wiped just about everything about me. You know what I mean? They saw my worst. Some of the most embarrassing moments, my mom, my dad were there. There's no pretending with my family. There's no, there's no pretending. There's no putting up front and mask. And what the Bible says when it says, are you part of the spiritual family, is, is there that kind of spiritual transparency? See, there's a lot of things, church, we lost in Genesis 3. And one of the most profound things that we lost was this, listen very carefully, was the ability to be fully known and fully loved. One of the things that we lost in the garden was intimacy, fully known and fully loved. You know what's really, really, really shocking to me? Do you realize we live in a culture that equates sex with intimacy? Have you been intimate? Intimate apparel? We think that sex equals intimacy. I'm going to tell you something right now. Intimacy has very little or anything to do with sex. We live in a culture that is most sex-obsessed, sex-saturated than any other time, and yet we live in one of the loneliest societies ever. There are millions and millions of your friends who have pursued intimacy and sex and realize this is a bottom. You could have sex with someone you don't even like. You know what your laughter in sex? It's to be known. It's somebody to go, I see you. I love you. 
Here's the dilemma. The dilemma is because of sin, we think we have to choose. We could either be fully known or we could be fully loved, but not both. See, we think we could be fully loved if we only show part of us. And you and I are so good at that. We're so good at showing sides of us that want to be loved. We're really good at pretending, really projecting an image. People go, I love you, but deep down inside, here's what you can't shake. You're going, but if you knew me to the bottom, you wouldn't love me. So we go, eh, I'll never be fully loved. But you know what? That's better than being fully known. Why? Because if we could be fully known, be fully transparent, we could be fully loved. But the fear of rejection, the fear of rejection, the fear that someone might go, oh, the fear of rejection is so powerful that we go, I am not going to be fully known. So we live all the days of our lives never being fully loved. But what if you could be a part of a community of people where you were fully known and fully loved? Do you know what would happen to you? You would be healed. Were you coming up with that? James 5. Some of you have never seen this passage this way before. Therefore, confess your sins to each other so, and pray for each other so that you may be what? Heal. Here's the thing. Most people read that and go, it's some supernatural. No, 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 no. Here's how healing has happened. And I've seen it. It happens in a men's group when a guy who's been struggling with pornography addiction all of his life. And he has never told anybody because of the fear. He finally gets to that place where he shares everything. Confession. And instead of rejection and judgment, he experiences what? Love. And I'm telling you, I've literally physically, shackles of guilt and condemnation begin to fall. And that brother is experiencing what? Healing of being fully known and fully loved. I'm going to go with this next week. What we're most longing for is not safety in an age of fear and terror. It's acceptance. It's acceptance. See, when someone who doesn't know me very well goes, you're pretty cool. I feel pretty good. But when someone who knows all my junk says, you're one of the finest people I know, So here's your challenge. Satan is out to do two things. Isolate you and live in secret. Satan will get you to be isolated and keep secrets. What do I mean? If Satan gets you to go, because of fear and shame, I could tell nobody. Live in secret. And if I share somebody, I might get rejected, so I'm not going to be in community. If Satan gets you alone with your sins, it's just a matter of time. All of my years as a pastor, before you give up on God, give up on the church, sometimes even on yourself. But confession in the context of community does what? Yeah. 
How many of you want to be healed? Come on, somebody. How many, how many of you? Do you see why spiritual formation can't happen apart from community? Transparency, accountability, availability, identity. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to end with this. Uh, many people over the years have said to me, Peter, I've been changed by a new community. I've been changed. And they haven't. And I'm not trying to be mean. They haven't been changed. What do I mean? They're not getting better. They're not overcoming besetting sins. Here's what happens. People come to your community and they feel better. They get inspired. They feel better. But they're not actually getting better. Do you know why? You got these one another passages when you walked in, in your bulletin. Pull it out. Pull it out. Pull it out. Okay, in your bulletins. Take this out. One another passages. So these are the, these, these are the passages in the New Testament that, that, that essentially gets to the core of the Christian life. Okay? Love one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage, care, forgive, submit, commit, build, be devoted, be patient, be interested, be accountable, confess, live in harmony, do not be conceited, do not slander, instruct, admonish, spur one another, meet with one another, be concerned, be humble, be compassionate, do not lie, give preference, be at peace, sing to one another, comfort one another, be kind to one another, live at peace with one another, caring one another. <sighs> How many of these have you done in the last hour and 10 minutes? You can't do this coming to a worship event. We could believe all these things. Sister, you can come on up. We could believe all these things, but these things don't automatically result in character transformation. You guys, you guys, you guys. Character transformation doesn't come just because we're talking about the Christian life. Character transformation comes because we're living the Christian life in community. You could come to new community week after week after week after week and feel better and get inspired but not actually get better because the only way you get better is when you live in community. Are you hearing me, church? We'll pick up verse 2. Be hospitable next week. I've dreaded this moment. Pastor Michael, where is he? He walk out on me. Don, come on out, please. You're gonna have to walk over that way. Yeah, I know, Don.
afternoon. Hello. It's um, it's kind of appropriate that this message happened, but um, and I hope you don't mind if I read my thank you. When I'm emotional, I tend to ramble. But I remember my first time in New Community back in 2006. It was Communion Sunday. And I remember feeling incredibly self-conscious. After all, it was Michael's, um, it was the final stages of his interview process. And as his wife, I felt like I was being interviewed as well. Um, I, I thought I was being, you know, I was under scrutiny. And this was all self-imposed. But after the sermon, Michael and I got up to receive the communion, and imaginary eyes were all on me. When it was my turn to receive the bread and the cup, Andrea Kaiser was there holding the cup. And of course, I grabbed the cup to drink out of it. And um, I felt a little resistance. But at the same time, I was looking at Andrea, and she had the warmest and most welcoming smile on her face, and I couldn't put it together. All I could see was the warmth in her face, and I guess you have to understand Andrea Kaiser to understand. Of course, when we got back to our seats, Michael explained the intention process <laughs> so much for making a good impression, but I'll admit that my intention was in and out during most of the service. I was taking it all in. So I'm sure I missed key details. What is my point in sharing that story? It's, it's acceptance. New Community is the first church where Michael has served, where I have felt completely accepted for the person that I am. Um, New Community is the church where Michael has served, where I have had, um, there's been no expectations placed on me if I had broken some church tradition, such as intention, out of ignorance or perhaps out of re resistance at some of the other churches where Michael has served, um, I'm almost confident that it would have been a thing. But I know that Andrea Kaiser loves me. <laughs> and after that incident, she, we're still friends. And she never held that against me. Um, because New Community allowed me to be me, I became motivated over time to be the person, to find out who I am. I didn't want to live in the shadow of my husband's ministry. I wanted to find out. I wanted to live fully in my own. And in order to do that, I had to find out who I was. Um, I'm happy to say, 11 years later, the person I've discovered I love and embrace more and more each day. So, so thank you for accepting me as I am. Two more things that I'm thankful for. New Community is the first church I've been a part of that has been intentional about a multiracial church. I grew up in churches where racial reconciliation involved resistance. The churches I grew up, they taught love as well, but we didn't have many opportunities to practice that multiracial love in a church where everyone looked like me and lived my racial experience. New Community practiced racial reconciliation by building real deal communities, which wasn't always pretty. 
what was wonderful about being at New Community is actually struggling through those not so pretty moments, the ugly, hard as nails, extremely uncomfortable moments where we lost our cool, we got angry, took off our mask, and showed our true selves. And then got back up the next time we had small group and saw each other to do it all over again and to see each other the next Sunday. Once again, acceptance. Lastly, New Community is a church where I experience pervasive generosity and community that is now not bound by Christian legalism or obligation. I've been invited to share experiences that I've never had before that have marked my lives in, in significant ways, all because of the gifts of people who were intentional about being, building a relationship with us. Mm -hmm. I have been served lavish, beautiful meals from people who work harder and more honorably than I, and, but they also live in the most modest conditions. I've had someone to cry with when I was working for close to minimum wage, when we struggled financially, when we tried for nine years to conceive, I also celebrated with some of those same people when our sons were born and when my career gained momentum. I've had meals provided for me when I was sick um, and unable to cook. And what is most more, what is more memorable to me about experiencing this type of generosity, community, and love is that it all felt genuine and sincere. And in fact, I know it was. I cannot be more grateful for your love, your community, and your embrace and acceptance of me. So thank you very much. supposed to say something? Yes! Good plan. Yeah. Good morning, new community. I think that um, part of the reason I've, I think, waffled with uh, uh, whether to say things this morning and what to say for sure is because I very much, I very much um, sort of feel like I've said things and, 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 and um, try to um, always assume that every, every conversation uh, needs whatever that conversation needs so that when we're done, um, you know, we've said and heard what we need to. So that being said, I stand here really wondering about how to, how to say goodbye. Some of you know 
that uh, if I'm at your house and there are people there and we're eating and having a good time, a lot of you wouldn't know this, but you know, I'm the person who will tell you at some point I will be gone. Uh, so just understand that I will leave when I leave. And I, and I, have I been over anybody's house and done that ever? Okay. Um, and what that means is I don't want to make a big fuss out of the goodbye thing. We're going to enjoy this party. Um, and when you, you said 8.30, so at 8.30, at 8.26, I'm going to look at my wife, and we're going to make our contact, and by 8.30, we'll be out of the door. Um, and that's a practice for me. Uh, so uh, I'm struggling with how to get out of the door without having to... Um, but I, I want to think about and say... Something that comes out of the, the early days from New Community for me. When we came to this church, um, there, were, there, were, there were two things that happened, I think, for about a year. And one of the things that happened for about a year is... Um, any stock would, and, and I'm not, I don't have the spiritual gift of exaggeration. I think Pastor Peter has that, enough, but, but for me, you know, I think I'm on the other side. And uh, um, so when I say for about a year, almost without fail, almost every time I saw her, she would say to me, I hope you're finding a home here. Oh, there you are. Do you remember that? <laughs> I needed a witness and that was you, but you don't remember. Okay. <laughs> so so that, that's one. Um, Annie would, even though she doesn't remember, would say, you know, she's from Kentucky, so she probably says that to everybody who, you know, I, but, but she would say that to me. And the second thing that would happen for about a year, uh, and she's, I saw her somewhere setting up, uh, Sister Taylor, Alex, would um, just kind of come up come around, come close, and just sort of hover. And usually, early in the days, you know, you're meeting people as a pastor, and she would just stand there and wait. And, and in a very awkward fashion, just kind of stand there looking like she wanted to say something, you know, you know? And I would kind of have to say, what do you want, you know? Um, or, hi, you know, because I'm getting to know her. And, um, And she would almost, just as much as Annie, who doesn't remember this, almost have her way of coming around and being there, sometimes saying things, sometimes making me just feel uneasy because I don't know who you are. And, um, 
And over the years, those two sisters and what they did and what they said has become a part of my pastoral practice so that in my way, I can't say it like Annie. I can't. But, but my pastoral hope for you is that you find a home here. I hope when you come to new community, you get settled in. That, and Dawn's already, already indicated how appropriate this message was, that, that, that you feel sense being hosted. like Sherry would host you, or Vivian would host you, or Dana would host you. And maybe not like they would host you, because they, they might make you a cake and, and watch you while you eat it. Or walk you through a garden, or just that, that you feel like... Um, this is not the church I go to. New communities, new communities home. And, and, and when you leave home, you're, you're supposed to feel a sense of rupture, upset. Uh, even disease, you know, that that uh, home is where you come to, where you relax, where you take off your shoes. Some of us take off our shoes at the door, you know, before we come in. It's a place of security and safety and where folks hover and they don't have to say much, but you know what they mean. And when, when you're at home, all that comes so that when you leave home, uh, it's different. Um, and the further you go from home, the deeper the grief. Pastor Peter and I would uh, talk, and Dawn has said more than I will say. I think I'm, I'm about done. Um, Pastor Peter and I would talk about my growing edges when I came here, and, uh, and there were several. Uh, and, and some of them I've made some progress with. One of them was, was how accustomed I was to, um, in the church of my upbringing where I served before I came here, I was used to everybody staying. At Sweet Holy Spirit, I mean, my family now, and that's still home church, my family that is still there, I mean, they're in there. We were in our 20s. Year when I came here, so we've been there 30, 
51 years or so as a family. And at that church, when you go, some of you know churches like this. You don't leave. They don't let you leave. <laughs> you can't go. Where are you going? Come back. Where are you going? I'm going to my car. Wait. I, just, I left my phone. Um, I, I, I was used to staying. I was accustomed to pastoring people who were there over the long term for life. It was what we did. And, and the model of ministry really circulated around that. And we would talk about how at New Community, not only are the folks who are coming here, we, so we would talk about this four-year kind of time frame that sometimes gets to 10 years for some, but this average of four years, and some folks are going to be here for two, some folks are going to be here for three, some folks are going to be here for 10, but that sort of four or five-year average, and how actually over the last half dozen years, that has changed quite a bit. But in the first half of my time here, we would I would struggle with that, because being here meant learning how to send and to watch people go and, 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 um, and it was the mission of our church for you to come and for you to go for you to enter and for you to exit, for you to be a part and for you to go out. We would, you remember that message, scattering, where Pastor Peter talked about scattering as, an, as a staple of our church's mission. And so this morning, um, I'm living, my family is living into that mission. And I want to read this, somebody else's words um, as I give up this microphone. Have I supposed to, am I supposed to say anything else, Brother Carlton? I'm supposed to say something else? Do you want to tell me what to say? Oh, okay. Uh, John Donahue is a, he's dead now with the saints and in that cloud of witnesses, but he is a poet and priest and writer who's written prayers and words that I think are worth holding on to. And in this book, it's a book of blessings. And um, I just couldn't write one for today. Um, uh, maybe I'll write one later, but it, it would not come. So I'm going to use his words uh, to end my time of blessing with you. I am told that uh, Dawn, you and I are going to stand somewhere and people are going to walk by us and we're going to shake hands. And uh, If you don't like to shake hands, you don't have to shake our hands. Um, I just kid. No, you don't. You don't. But you can hug us or um, don't kiss my wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, you, kiss, you can kiss her. Uh, but this, this comes from the book, To Bless the Space Between Us. And it's a blessing for belonging. May you listen to your longing to be free. May the frames of your belonging be generous enough for your dreams. 
may you arise each day with a voice of blessing whispering in your heart. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. May the sanctuary of your soul never become haunted. May you know the eternal longing that lives at the heart of time. May there be kindness in your gaze when you look within. May you never place walls between the light and yourself. May you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you, mind you, and embrace you in belonging. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. May God be faithful to you. May God give you peace. Thank you for everything. Pastor Peter. <laughs>